It is great to be here today. I just want to, uh, before I get into my message this morning, want to acknowledge uh, a family that's been a part of our church for the last three years that um, will be moving to a new location, uh, not just uh, in life, but, but also in ministry. Uh, Alvin and Carrie Kosky have been a part of Silver Creek Church with their fantastic kids, and uh, they have accepted a pastoral position in Nebraska, and so we're excited but ticked off all at the same, simultaneously. How is that possible that we can be excited and ticked off? But I know that I am personally, so uh, we just pray God's best. In fact, let's just, let's just pray right now, shall we? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for your anointing on Alvin and his family. Father, I pray for he and Carrie both. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on them. I pray your protection to be upon their family. I pray for the kids as they uh, get into school and as they find new friends and as they work through all that entails with going <clears throat> to a new church. And I pray that they will uh, recognize that this call, though right now they're just following your leading, that when they get there, they're going to say, this is right. This is what God has called us to and we're so happy to follow the call of the Lord. I pray that in their leadership, they will grow. I pray that in preparation on a weekly basis, that your, your anointing will rest upon Alvin's heart and mind as he preaches the gospel. Lord, we thank you for their lives. Thank you for how they have dug into Silver Creek Church as their, their home body. And now through the Holy Spirit, as they did in Acts... They sent off those who would go to minister, and that's exactly what we do in the name of Jesus. Father, anoint them and bless them, we pray, and may we be forever connected in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you today. We're going to uh, continue on with this uh, series of messages that we are doing, and I'm going to try to make a little uh, adjustment here on the fly, if you'll give me the opportunity to do that. Technical issues, don't you know? Uh, but we're in this series called Better, and my message today is about better odds. No, this is not a message on gambling, although right now... <laughs> If you want to gamble on whether or not I'm going to get it together, the odds are pretty good that I'm not. Uh, so, uh, you know, you could always do that. But uh, this message is uh, not about something like that, but it is uh, in a different sense. It's the issue of odds. I'm a wreck here this morning. Um, the question I want to start with is this. Is Community is community within the body of Christ, and especially right now, at this time, more than any other time in our history, 
Is community worth it? Is the risk worth it? Because there is risk now in ways that there has never been a risk before. Is the risk of community in the body of Christ, is it worth it? You see, I think we have to determine, we've got to look at it, okay? Mike, I think we've got to, we've got to have a, a risk-benefit analysis, okay, to steal some of your business terminology. I think we have to look at, at the risk and we have to say, is it worth it? Is there enough benefit that makes the risk worthy? worthwhile? Does it make it something that we are willing to do? We've got to determine those benefits based on the value of that risk. We're going to compare the two. Is the action that we want to take, is it worth the risk that will inherently come with that action? And right now, that is a question that is really important here as part of the body of Christ. And we do this every day. Every day we do this. Is the risk worth it? Alvin, you and your family, that's exactly what you're doing in saying yes to this ministry position that you guys are taking. You are saying, yes, God, the risk is worth it for us to leave Marquette and go to Nebraska and to, to, to meet a strange group of people and to pastor those people. Yes, God, it is worth the risk that we're going to take to do that. We do it all the time. The goal of, of, of this is that in the end, we're going to achieve the highest possible odds of success in whatever we do. That's, that's our goal. We want to achieve the highest possible odds so that we can succeed in whatever we're doing and what God has ultimately called us to. Now, this reminds me of a line in, in one of my favorite movies, and it's, it's really a series of movies. And in that, that movie, uh, and my kids, they, they read the book years ago. And they said, oh, this book, you know. Oh, it's, you know, and I was like, this sounds like a terrible idea. And, and in, the, in the, the, the plot of the movie and the book, there is this very oppressive um, government that is, is doing terrible things to its people. It's, it's very post-apocalyptic. And it's, it's not a very pleasant scene. And the capital city rules over 12 districts. And there had been a rebellion. And so the capital decided that every year they would force each of the districts to select one boy and one girl that would represent the district in something that was a, 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 a contest. But it was a contest to the death. And only the victor would survive. And so it was a very elaborate setup with, with, with high technology and it was done to entertain the people that lived in the capital city. In fact, you could tell by the faces of the people that watched that they considered these, these contestants, they considered them to be heroes. And they were doing something very noble when in reality they were being forced to do 
what they were doing. And there was a line in that movie that is used throughout the movie. And the line is this. May the odds be ever in your favor. What they were really saying is, I hope you're the one that survives. Alvin and Carrie, we're not saying to you, may the odds be ever in your favor. We, we do want you to survive, though. I mean, let's, you know, but, but that's what they were saying. And, 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 and today, this message that I want to share with you is a message about the value of community. Because there is, there is a, a value of being part of the body of Christ. And right now, everything in our culture is fighting against that value. And I believe that with my whole heart. I believe it, it, it just picks something. We, uh, I can remember when sports used to fight against the, the, the value of community. Man, now we take sports any day. Let them, let them, you know, let, oh man, big deal. Everything is fighting against the sense of community within the body of Christ that comes from being a body of Christ. And I believe that when we walk in fellowship as a body of Christ, that we have better odds. You say, well, better odds of what? Well, that's, that's the message. That's what I'm going to share with you. And I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse number 9. Here's what King Solomon writes. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I believe that our odds are better when we are together in fellowship as a body of Christ. Solomon makes it clear that two are better than one. And I'd like to talk about four ways that are odds, specific ways that, that Solomon points out that our odds are better when we are together in that community of believers. And the first one is this, that when we are in a relationship in the body of Christ, when we're part of that, there are better odds for a good return. Now, you might say when, it, when we talk about investing, maybe your, your preferred method of investing is your savings account. And if, if I did my research correctly, uh, that, that is like 0.01% uh, of a return on your investment. It, it is just the, the smallest investment that you could possibly uh, get is in your savings account. But if you would take your, your money and invest it in bonds, which are, are very safe, they would yield about a 3% return if I'm reading correctly, which I'm not saying that I am. Uh, 
If you are going to, say, uh, use real estate, and when I, when I say real estate now, I'm not talking about buying a home and flipping it, okay? But I love watching those shows. I'm, I, I can be glued to those shows, but I want to see the nitty-gritty. Don't just show me your design stuff. I want to see the nitty-gritty. I want to see the termites. I want to see the black insulation. I want to see all of that stuff. And those people, I love it when they say, you know what, I, I don't even know if we're going to make anything on this. And they spend three or four or five or six months doing it. But I'm talking about when you buy a piece of real estate and you own it, and even live in it, and you sell it, you might make 6% annually. Okay? That's a lot better. If, you, if you're going to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to use my money a little bit differently, and I'm going to get in mutual funds. You know, these things, some people make money, some people lose money. We don't know how much we're going to make year to year in a particular investment. There's just, there, that, that's part of the risk. That's part of the odds that we play. A few years ago, I, uh, I decided to, to make an investment. And there was a, a, a company based here in the UP. And their stock was really undervalued. And this is a, a company that had a really great reputation, uh, a really great presence here in the UP. And, and it, the stock was very undervalued. And there was just a huge upside. I mean, a big upside. And there was a chance to, to really have an excellent return on an investment. And so I, I, I purchased some of that stock. And that stock continued to, to just go down and down and down to the point where finally I had to say, you know what, enough is enough. I've reached my comfort level and I had to sell that stock and, and took a loss ultimately in it. When we make an investment, we don't, we don't know. But anything that we can do to improve those odds, that is, that's certainly what we want to do. And Solomon says that when we are together, he says that two have better odds of a good return than one. And so when we talk about the investment of our own effort, that literally there is a greater return when it's two of us rather than when there, it is just us individually. Uh, and, and it literally means a return on our effort, a return on our labor, that, that the joint effort of two, of anyone or anything, will produce a greater result than the sum of those individuals together. This is like the very definition of the word synergy. Synergy is something that takes place. It, it is a phenomenon that when, when two people or more than one person works together, the results of that are greater than if you added up all the results individually. Uh, there's a, there is a, um, a book that Dave Ramsey wrote. And, uh, and in his book, he talks about this, and he, um, he mentions something that's near and dear to my heart, and, and, and he talks about horses, and he talks about Belgian horses. And he says that, that when a, a Belgian horse is, is a trained pulling horse, that horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. 
But if you take another Belgian who is unfamiliar, okay, with the other one. So these are these horses are strangers. I didn't realize that horses could be strangers, but these horses don't know each other. They're strangers. Those two horses then can pull somewhere between between uh, uh, twenty and twenty-four thousand pounds. Ramsey says. And so you see it's like a three-to-one difference, okay, because two horses could only pull 16 if, you, if they each pull eight individually, but together now they are about three times what an individual horse could pull. So there's a synergy effect that's taking place. And Ramsey goes further, and this, this, I found this so unique. I want to read this for you. Here's what Ramsey says. If two horses are raised and trained together, they learn to pull and think as one. The trained and therefore unified pair can pull not only 24,000 pounds, but hit 30 to 32,000 pounds. The unified pair can pull four times as much as a single horse. They can pull an extra 8,000 pounds simply by being unified. So when Solomon says that two are better than one, he is telling the truth. But when the two are unified together, the effects and the results are even greater because that unity produces an effect. And in the body of Christ, would we not say that together we should be and are unified together because of our relationship with Jesus Christ? There is a unity that happens within the body of Christ, and the benefit is that we have a greater return for the things that we do. I'm thinking of things like the block party this summer when we were able to give out over 600 backpacks and school supplies. How about Feeding America coming up this next week? I hope that you'll participate where we'll be able to give food to two to 300 families, 50 pounds of food to each of those families. Or Operation Winterwear. This was an exciting week. Man, I'm telling you, things are happening as we're getting ready for Operation Winter Wear. And, and God is opening up the windows of heaven and is, is literally blessing us with more and more opportunity to touch people's lives. When we are in unity together as the body of Christ, there is a greater impact that our efforts have because of that. The second thing that Solomon said is that we've got a better odds of getting back up. In 1989, there was a commercial. And I, I've told you this, I love commercials. And I love lines from commercials if they're very memorable. In 1989, there was a commercial for a medical alert system. And in the commercial, her name was Mrs. Fletcher. And Mrs. Fletcher was in her bathroom, and Mrs. Fletcher slipped, and she pushed that pendant on her medical alert system, and she said the famous words, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. 
How many times have I repeated those words since 1989? That is good advertising. Whoever came up with that line should really have been rewarded handsomely. Mark chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus says this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. James chapter 3, verse 2 says that we all stumble and fall. The apostle Paul says that we have all fallen short of the mark set for us by God. So the reality is that every one of us, to some degree or another, we have all fallen. And we are all in need of getting back up. But how do we do that? And, and here's the answer, okay? When we fall, how do we get back up I'll tell you what we do. We got to reach down and we got to grab ourselves by the bootstraps and pull ourselves up. Do you know why we say that? Because we're Americans. That's why we say it. And I say that humorously, but it is the truth. Culturally speaking, we have been taught that you need to be able to do it on your own. And that is not a scriptural principle. I love my country. I love it. But there are some things in it that, that do not teach the same thing as the word of God. And when we fall, we need others in our lives that will help pick us up. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. What does that mean? It means that when you fall, a friend is there to help you back up. A brother is there to help you back up. When a man is alone and he's fallen. He can't help himself, and he can't help anybody else. But when we're with someone else, when we're in unity with others, someone can help us up, and when someone else falls, we can help that person up. I love what Galatians says. Paul says in Galatians 1.6, he says, when a brother when a brother stumbles and falls in sin, you, you need to gently restore him. What does that mean? It means you need to reach down and pick him up and help get him back up. Help restore him. In community, a community of believers, in the local church, there should never be a situation where someone can honestly say, there was no one there to help me. Now, there are people that will say it, it's just not necessarily always honest. But there should never be a time when someone reaches out and says, please, help me. I need to be restored. I need to be able to get up because I've fallen. There should never be an instance where they do not have the help to be able to get back up, spiritually speaking. The third thing that Solomon says 
is that we have better odds of staying warm. Now, this affects different people different ways, okay? I, I literally, I'm seeing a, a wife pat her husband on, on the leg right now. They're there, they're dear. Don't, don't worry. The Bible says that it's okay. Do you, do, you, do you remember, okay, those of you that are married, do you remember if you were married at a young age, do you remember what it was like? Okay, we had, we had an issue, okay, when we got married. My wife was, was warm, or excuse me, cold all the time. Uh, she was, in fact, free. You would think she was literally hypothermic, okay, because I, I was always warm, and I wanted a fan on at night. I wanted uh, the air conditioning set always lower than she did. And she, from the way she described it, she was going hypothermic. She was literally slipping into a coma, you know, uh, because of the cold. And, and I, I just, man, I'm like, you know, we don't need any covers. And, you know, I was just always warm. And about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't know how long it was, all of a sudden, I, I was no longer fighting over the thermostat, okay? We, I mean, the fight over the thermostat had been very real, you know, if uh, they say that money is the number one source, you know, of causes for divorce, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think it's the thermostat. Control of that and, and the remote control for the TV, that, that, those would be the two biggest causes. But, but then something happened, and all of a sudden, I realized I was getting cold at night. And I, <laughs> I was like, do I actually say anything? Because this is going in my, my direction. I like this, but I'm like, you know, I started getting cold. And all of a sudden, she's like, you know, all the windows are open. The fan is on. The air conditioning is blowing, you know. And that's year round. There's something that's, that's different than it used to be. So when, when we think about this now in terms of relationship. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Paul uses in the New Testament the illustration of marriage to describe the body of Christ and the relationship that we should have within the body of Christ. He says, husbands, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus said, and, it, and it's also in Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and he's going to cling to a wife and the two will become one flesh and what God has put together, let no one bring asunder. Man, I say that at every wedding. I read those scriptures at every wedding that I do. And the New Testament uses that relationship to describe our relationship in the body of Christ. And when we operate in fellowship with one another as believers, there is an emotional connectedness, an emotional closeness that we have. And that when that takes place, there is a warmth that happens in our lives that we cannot otherwise achieve or understand. What do they say when a husband gets in trouble? 
he's going to be out in the doghouse or he's really out in the cold. When someone is shut out relationally, they're out in the cold. When we are in unity together in the body of Christ, we are together and we're never going to need to be cold because of that relationship. And finally, the fourth thing, that when we are part of the body of Christ, when we are in that relationship together, there are better odds. And I, I really don't even like the title of this point. I should have not had completely all of it. I said a better chance of, of survival and success. I, I want to, on the fly, I want to change that. There's a better chance for victory. That's the reality of it. Remember what Solomon said in our text, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In World War I, the military would have what were called runners. And those runners would take communication from their commanding officers and they would deliver that information to another unit or to another officer or to another battalion. And it was very critical. And they used all sorts of communication. They, they even used uh, carrier pigeons. They used, uh, they, they used lights. They used all sorts of things. But, but sometimes runners were actually used. And in World War I, there were two lance corporals. One's name was Schofield. The other's name was Blake. And they received orders from their general to take a message, and they were uh, supposed to go behind enemy lines in order to deliver this message to another officer in the British Army because that group of 1,600 soldiers were walking into uh, basically an ambush and they needed to disregard their previous orders, but the only way this could happen is if they received word by these runners. And they sent two of those runners. You say, why did they send two runners? German snipers were known for their accuracy. And so the British government had to take an assessment of the situation and say that this information is so important that it is worth risking two lives instead of one. Because if one of those runners were to be killed by a German sniper, it would leave a second one that could successfully deliver that information and thereby save those lives. There was an assessment of the value of that information. They felt that it was more successful to send two rather than one. Look at what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 32.30, how... Could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight? When we stand in unity as the body of Christ, we literally, it makes a difference. We have a greater impact, a greater influence in the spirit realm by being in unity together. 
than if we are just all individuals adding up our impact. There is a synergy that takes place. Literally, the, the idea is that when we partner together with others, there is a multiplied impact. Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, he said, a cord of three strands will not be quickly broken. And he's not talking about me and you and you. He's talking about you and me and God. That strand of three cords, that is not going to be quickly broken. Why? Man, we see it throughout Scripture. Jesus said, where, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Paul says in Romans 8.31, he says this, that... Uh, I lost my place, I apologize, that if God is for us, who can be against us? The scripture also says that there's no weapon fashioned against us that will prosper. When we're a part of the body of Christ, when we are connected together, there is a greater impact. There's a greater uh, odds of us just flat out having victory over the enemy. And it's not even about just defending ourselves, but it's about going on the offense that we can literally take back ground that the enemy has taken away. And we can have victory in Jesus' name. The Talmud is a, a book of, of Jewish writings. It's not included in the scripture, but it's very important to the Jews. And the Talmud says this, a man without companions is like the left hand without the right. A few years ago, I was playing in a football game in a park. And I was on offense. And when the quarterback said hike, I, I ran straight ahead for the end zone. The quarterback lets that ball go. It's flying through the air, and I'm thinking this is going to be so good, and I'm ready to catch that ball. But the ball was underthrown, and the guy that was guarding me, it was an easy interception. He made a great play. And after he caught that ball, he starts to turn and pivot, and he is going to try to go back the other direction, and he's going to try to score a touchdown from one end zone to the other. And as he's turning, he slips, and he lands on his shoulder. He tore his rotator cuff. He literally tore the bicep. One of the two places where the bicep connects, it tore that. It was a very bad injury, which he had surgery on. And after that surgery, you go to therapy. And no matter how hard it seemed that he worked, he, his hand was swelling terribly. And it was an awful situation. And at one point, the doctors told him, we don't know if you're ever going to fully get use of that back. How much would that scare you to be told you're not going to be able to have the use of your arm back? A man without companions is like a left hand without the right. 
in the body of Christ, a believer that's not connected, a believer that's, that's not a, really unified as a part of the body of Christ is like a left hand that doesn't have a right hand to depend on. As that guy was recovering from that surgery, there were so many things that he couldn't do for himself. And then thinking about, maybe this is permanent. But thank you, Jesus, it's not permanent for us in the church. And that even when we've been disconnected, we can get reconnected in the body of Christ. And I, I want you to know today that if you're not connected, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to those that are a part of church online, if you don't feel connected to the body of Christ, it's not too late. You can become connected. And the impact that will happen as the result of that in your life and in the lives of others is greater because of being connected, being unified in the body of Christ we have far greater odds for victory when we are connected together in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge. And Father, I pray that you'll forgive each of us for those times when we have whether knowingly or unknowingly, sort of stepped back and disconnected ourselves from the body of Christ. Where we have separated and, and, and just kind of isolated ourselves. And, and I'm thankful that you do not call us to be isolated, but even the picture of, of the bride is a picture of companionship within the kingdom and plan of God. And Father, I pray for that one that is feeling disconnected. And maybe they feel like no matter what they try to do, that, that they can't get connected. Father, I pray for a breakthrough in Jesus' name. I pray that they will begin to feel more connected and be more connected within the body of believers than they've ever felt before. Father, I thank you. And I praise you for all that you desire to do and all that you have done through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been so great to be with you today, to be able to worship with you. My prayer is that you will be connected, that you'll be unified as part of the body of Christ, and that through that, God is going to bring about incredible victory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? It's great to see you. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you very soon.